0: Well, thanks again, Praise Team. Not just for the music, but for leading us in worship. Amen? Amen. That's what we're here to do today, is to worship, uh, worship our God, and we deserve it. Well, if you could turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Um, uh, last week we talked about the vision of the ram and the goat, and, uh, and this week we're going to talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel. But let me explain something First. Last week, when we talk about the vision of the ram and the goat, how many of you were impressed with just the fact that God predicted the future with such exactitude? Doesn't that just impress you with with the the God that we serve and how he's a God overall of history? I'll tell you, chapter 8 was really the chapter in my search for God that led me to believe that the God of the Old Testament is definitely the God of the universe. Chapter 9 became the, in, in my search for God, chapter 9 became the chapter that showed me that not only is the God of the Old Testament the God of the, of the universe, but the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. And so I hope that you come to that same conclusion as we look at uh, the 70 weeks of, of Daniel. And so uh, in order to do that, I, I want to go all the way back uh, for a moment, back in time in, into the Old Testament. When God had first led Israel into the promised land, and you might remember that we took uh, for those who are here, we study the book of Joshua and the conquest of the land. So when God gave them the promised land, they go into the promised land, and, uh, and things were going pretty well in the book of Joshua. Then comes the book of Judges. Things don't go so well in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, they reject God, and they're, and they're, they're forgetting God. So many times they start following after other gods, and things just go south. Real fast, right? They, they, things are not going well at all in the book of Judges. Then you come to uh, the books of First, uh, First Samuel, and First and Second Kings. And at the beginning of First Samuel, what you find is a connection to what was going on in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, the last few chapters, it says multiple times, every man was doing what was right in his own eyes, and Israel had no king. The problem was that they had a king; they were rejecting that king, right? that God was their king, but they wanted a human king. So you get to the opening uh, chapters of 1 Samuel, and what's going on? They're asking for a human king. They want to be like the other nations. And if you remember what's going on there, uh, the people were basically saying, we want a human king with whom we can relate, uh, someone uh, that we can see with our own eyes. We want a human king like the nations around us. And God was saying, but I want to be your king. That's the discussion that was going on in, in, all the way back in First and 2 Samuel. Now I say this because I believe that Daniel's prophecy is actually going to lead us to the most important moments of human history where that issue is solved once and for all. And so it's a, a discussion that goes all the way back to the early portions of Scripture and we see that in, in, uh, in Daniel chapter 9 he's pointing to the answer to all of this dilemma and much more. So with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, uh, not the same Ahasuerus from the book of Esther, Uh, this one is the father of Darius, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in desolation of Jerusalem. Say, so wait a minute, what's, what's he talking about here? This uh, 70 years of desolation. What is this talking about? So what I want you to do is take a folder, or like a, your bulletins or something, leave that in Daniel 9 for a second. But in order to understand what we're talking about here, we're going to have to go back to the book of Jeremiah. So if you go back about three, uh, three books back to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25... We're going to read what he's talking about. These 70 years of desolation. Starting in verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem, saying... From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the twenty-third year in which the word of the Lord has come to me. And I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. Verse 4, And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear. By the way, if I could just stop here for a moment and as we, as we think this through. At the beginning, the first few verses, it's just a lot about dates. And how many of you, like me, by nature, when you start hearing a bunch of dates, your mind just kind of goes numb? Anyone else? Okay, so I'm not the only one here. But we can't do that in Scripture because dates are still part of Scripture, right? And when you actually do it, you find, okay, this is the fourth year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, who is the last in a long line of evil kings in Judah. In fact, it's after every king, it says, And this king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, as did most of the kings of Judah and all of the kings of, the, of, of Israel. It's also the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar, so it's important to understand this is before Babylon had taken over. It's important. One of the things that impresses me the most is that this is the 23rd year of Jeremiah's ministry, and no one listened to him. How many of you would like to be called to a ministry where you had zero converts in 23 years. I mean, by the way, this is a, the, just a little incidental thing that we learned from this, is that our success in God's eyes is not based on, on the success we have in our ministry. That's right. Our success is based on our faithfulness. That's what we look forward to, right? The one day we stand before God and God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. He doesn't say, well, good, well done because you've accomplished a lot. Mm-hmm. It's well done because you were faithful. Jeremiah had no idea that his ministry would be useless during his own lifetime. And I believe that his ministry has more fruit right now in our lifetime. He had no idea what, what God was going to do through his ministry. But, but we see it 23 years, and every time he would tell the people what, what God was saying to them, they just ignored him. They rejected him over and over again. By the way, if you do the math, too, this is also the 490th year that the country as a whole has rejected God. 490 years of, re- of rejecting and not keeping the Sabbath. It's a long history, isn't it, of rejecting God? So, in, in this passage, what we find uh, some, some interesting things, they're not listening to God. Verse 5, they said, Repent now, everyone, of his evil way and his evil doings. He's talking about the, the prophets that were sent to them giving this message. Uh, where he says to repent of their evil doings and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and to your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them and do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands and I will not harm you. Verse 7, yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. What's he getting at here? He's, He's saying that there's, this, there's a rebellion. In fact, you, you see in, the, in this text, there's a rebellion, a punishment, a duration, and a promise of restoration all in this text here. And, and it's important for us to understand this because this is what Daniel's referring to when, in his vision that he's about to have. So we see this rebellion is that there's an, this unwillingness to repent. God sent prophets. They would not listen to him. They begged him to repent in verse 5. They reminded them of God's blessings. They still would not repent. And they warned him not to go after other gods, not to, to forsake the Sabbaths. And they continued to do it anyway. And so there's a punishment. I like the way he says it at the end. He says, says uh, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Basically what he's saying is, is you have not listened, you've continued to not listen, and the hurt is coming. And then you come to the punishment, verse, starting in verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the, the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against the land. Remember, this actually happened. We already know this by this point in the book of Daniel, but he's predicting this before it happened. It says, and against its inhabitants and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, A perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, and the sound of the millstones, and the light of the lamp. And and this whole nation shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. What we find is there's the punishment was that there was going to be a captivity. They were going to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. This is predicted before it happened. And the duration would be 70 years. Now, why 70 years? You know, is it just a number that God pulled out of a hat? I don't actually believe that. I, I think that the reason why is because if you do the math, when you look at the dates, how many years have they been rejecting God? 490 years. 490 years they were supposed to be keeping the Sabbath day. That's one day a week. The word Sabbath means seven. And it's the seventh day of the week that they were supposed to separate and worship God. And instead they're following other gods. Now if you do the math, if you have one day out of the week for 490 years, how many years does that add up to be? 70 years. I think that what God was saying to them is, is, okay, you've rejected me for 490 years. You haven't followed my Sabbaths for all this. I want my Sabbaths back. And I'm going to take them. And God takes his Sabbaths back and he puts them all together. When you add all those Sabbath days together, what right, you come out with, 70 years. Uh, that's my take. And so for 490 years, they, they rejected him. But then read what we, what we find in verses 12 through 14 of Jeremiah 25. You read this. Then it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord. And I will make it a, a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all of the nations, for many nations, and great kings shall be served by them also, and I will pay them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. So what's the, the, we have this promise of restoration that he would punish Babylon after 40 years. This goes all the way back to that covenant that God made with the father of the Israelites, Abraham, and he made this covenant in Genesis 12, he said, you will, I will make a great, great nations out of you, and those who bless you I will bless, and those who curse you I will curse. And he's saying, I am going to allow the Babylonians to come in and take over, but even then, I'm going to punish them. Why? Because I am keeping my covenant with Abraham. Don't we, isn't it great to have a God who keeps his covenants? Amen. And there's no human on the planet that keeps his word 100% of the time, but there's a God who, who does. And that's what he said. He's given this promise of restoration. Now let's take all of this back to to, uh, to Daniel chapter nine and look at this one more time. He says, "In the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that He would accomplish seventy years in desolations of Jerusalem." So he's doing the math. Daniel's doing the math, and he's saying, "Wow, you know what? When I do the math, it's almost time." This is exciting. I mean, 70 years is up. Maybe this is the end of the desolations, right? And so what does he do? He does what we learned that Daniel always does. And we see this last week. He goes to pray. And we find this beautiful prayer starting in verse 3, going through verse 19. Let me, let me begin to read a little bit here. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, and I prayed uh, to the Lord my God and made confession and said. And from there he breaks into this prayer of restoration, of this prayer of repentance that is beautiful from, from verses 4 to 19. Now, as I started studying this uh, this week, I found there is so much beautiful stuff in this prayer that I, did, I just, it's worth an entire week looking at that prayer. So, uh, not next week because it's Resurrection Sunday, but but the following week. I'm going to come back and look at that prayer. But I want to read some excerpts from that prayer right now to help us understand the context of what's going on here. So let's look at verse 16. Just listen to the heart of Daniel's prayer. It says, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because... For our sins and for our and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. It's a beautiful sentence right there. Verse nineteen. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. What a beautiful pro- what a beautiful prayer. And, and you know, there, I do have to say, I find one problem with this prayer. You have to be careful saying you have to find a problem with anything that's found in Scripture, right? But I found one problem with this prayer, and I think it's okay, because I think God found the same problem with the prayer, and that is that Daniel is the only one praying it. Mm-hmm. What we don't find, we don't find, I'm sure there were probably some other individuals out there who were praying it. I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, I'm sure that they were probably praying something similar. Um... But as a whole, as a nation, you don't find this outpouring of, of, of repentance and prayer. You find it from Daniel. And again, what we find in, in history is when, when the nation it rejects God, God, God treats the nation as a nation. But those who are faithful, God does, does great things through them anyway. And that's exactly what we see happen in Daniel's life, right? That's exactly what we see when Daniel makes him, works his way up into the, to the upper ranks of two uh, different empires. Um, even though Israel was, was in, in struggle. Here, that's the issue here, though. As a country, they were not repentant. And this is where it gets interesting. This is where chapter 9 gets really interesting. Look at verse 20. Now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Wow, so he gets another visit from Gabriel, the same Gabriel who was able to explain what was going on in the visions or that, that he had had earlier, that, that he gets this visit from Gabriel and says, I'm going to give you skill to understand something. You're going to understand something that is not humanly possible for people to understand, but you are going to have this, this understanding of what's going on. And then here's what he says, verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sins to make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy he comes in and and uh, he he tells them there's 70 weeks that's why we call this the 70 weeks of Daniel now when we say 70 weeks it's important that we understand something in Hebrew the word for week is just seven right that's the same word sabbath so we have the the word Sabbath means seven, which is why the seventh day of the week is called the Sabbath day. And uh, uh, in English we call it Saturday, but in uh, in Spanish they still say sábado, right? So um, it's the Sabbath day; it's the seventh day. Now, seventy weeks here, literally, then in Hebrew is seventy sevens, right? Seventy sevens. You have two different kinds of Sabbaths that that you hear in Scripture. Uh, You have uh, the Sabbath day, which is the seventh day of the week, and then you also have the Sabbath year, which would be the seventh year on the calendar. So the question is here, is he saying that now this has turned into seventy or four hundred and ninety days, or is this turning into four hundred and ninety years? Right? Saying so you you had seventy you had seventy years, but now it's seventy sevens. A little bit seventy times seven. I think it's very clear in the context when we start to to read what's going on, he's talking about 490 years. 490 years. To do what? To finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. To anoint the most holy. Anoint is what, what you do to make someone a king, and that goes right back to the issue that's been going on since 1 Samuel. People want a king with whom they can relate, a human king. And God wants to be the king. And he's saying, at this point, we're going to anoint, that means to make someone the king, we're going to anoint whom? The most holy. Somehow, God's going to resolve this issue. Somehow, God's going to to resolve this issue because it's going to be God who is king. And somehow, we're yet going to have a human king too. How is he going to do all this? And that's why he points to what he does in this period of 70 weeks 490 years. So, uh, so what, what happens here is, now we had the 70-year period of desolation that was, that was uh, destined for, for Israel because of their sin. The 70 years has now become 490 years. Now how many of you think, wait a minute, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem right, because didn't God say it would happen for 70 years? And if God said 70 years, it's going to be 70 years, right? However... To answer that question, we have to go even further back in the Old Testament. So keep a finger here in Daniel. Let's go all the way back to Leviticus, right? The third book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 26. This was written when they had left Egypt and they were on their way to the promised land. And he was talking about what, what, how they should live when they enter the promised land. And this is what we read. Leviticus 26, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> it says you shall not make idols for yourselves neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it for I am the Lord your God you shall keep my sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary I am the Lord if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, that I will give you rain in its season, the land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And then what goes on from here in verses 5 all the way through, through verses 13 is a list of all the blessings that God would do. If you just keep the Sabbath, if you just don't worship other gods, if you worship the true God, I will do all of these great things for you as a nation. And he lists them through there. Beautiful passage. List um, all of these great things. But. Verse 14, if you look down in Leviticus 26:14, it says, "But if you do not obey me, and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you." I will even appoint terror over you. Wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And this is exactly what happened, isn't it? The Israelites rejected God. They did for 490 years. They didn't keep the Sabbaths. They rejected God, and he says, then I'm going to withdraw my blessing. That means the enemies are going to come in, and they're going to take you over. And that's exactly what happens. The Babylonians come in. They see a weak nation with beautiful land. So they come right in, and they take it, and they're defenseless. They were defenseless. And so they came in, and they took this land. Here's the kicker, though. Look at verse 18. It says, and after all this, and after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. See, the prediction that was made all the way back in Leviticus, God knew what was going to happen, and so he gets to this point where he says 70 years, but at the end of that 70 years, if you do not repent of your sins, what does Leviticus say God would do? I will make you do it seven times more. What's seven times 70? 490, very good, it's 490 and it's that's why he doesn't just say 490 years, he says 70 or 77s. 70 meaning everything that you've just done, it's gonna have to be done again in seven times more. Wow. That's that's foresight on the part of God in the third book of the Bible to predicting what would be happening that would lead us up to where this, this um leads us up to today. It's an incredible thing, this 490 years. Now, in verse verse 24 uh, there of Daniel 9, let's go back to Daniel 9. If we go back there, uh, what we find is is that he says it quickly and talks about that there's 77s. But starting in verse 25, as we look back and we see how these 70 years have become 490, starting in verse 25, he starts breaking down these years. And he starts showing us exactly how they're going to to lay out. So in verse twenty five we read this Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, by Messiah means the anointed one. That's the Hebrew word for anointed one. The New Testament word for it is Christ. Uh, so whenever you see Messiah or Christ, it's the same concept. It's the one who is anointed to be king. So to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks And 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Well, when we look at this, we see that he's, he's going to, to, uh, to break, break this up into a couple different parts. What we have here in this 490 years, first we have seven weeks, right? We have seven weeks, and then we have an event, which is the walls being restored? Then there's going to be 62 weeks, and then another event, which is going to be where the Messiah is cut off. Then we have—I'm just going to put a little question mark there. Don't don't let it fool you—the fact that it's small there, that, because this is not drawn to scale, as you can tell. It's drawn so that you can read it, right? And uh, that little question mark is this this um, undefined period of time that's marked by by destruction and desolation and wars. It says, and then there's going to be the final or the 70th week. Um, so when we look at this basically we have 49 years from a a key event what does it say from the decree to reconstruct the walls of jerusalem so we have this decree to to uh, uh to reconstruct the walls of jerusalem by the way it had not happened yet so daniel was waiting for this to happen so just even the fact that gabriel knew that there was going to be a decree shows foresight shows this this ability to prophesy um and so there's this decree to, uh, to d- restore the walls of Jerusalem. So then after 49 years, the walls would be restored. Right? That would be the event. The walls would be restored. Then you've got 434 years predicted. That's a pretty specific number. Until what? 434 years until Messiah the Prince. So and that means until the Messiah, the, the, the one who is anointed to become the king, shows up on the, on the scene. Where? In Jerusalem. So we're talking about for, for the Messiah to show up in Jerusalem 434 years. After those 62 weeks, the Messiah would be cut off. That's the event. The Messiah would be cut off. Then we have this period of time that's of, uh, marked by desolation and wars and different things going on. And, uh, and we see that happening. It doesn't say how long that's going to be. It just says that after that, one that once that all comes to an end, there'll be one week. Um, so that's a seven-year period of time and it talks a little bit more about what's going on there you know what I think is really cool about this is that we we look at Daniel is now predicting events that are recent enough in our history that we can have dates to those events and our calendars we can match our calendars up with the calendars that the, the the Jews had and that the Babylonians had and we can start looking at dates because the decree did go out to restore the walls of Jerusalem and on the first of Nisan in a year that would make it March 5th of the year 444 B.C. on our calendars. March, March 5th, 444 B.C. So we can actually look at that and start finding the date and say, well, then let's look at what actually happens in history, right? And to me, I find this very fascinating when we start looking at what, what goes on in history because from that date, guess how long it took because it said that it would happen in troublesome times and rebuilding the walls it was a troublesome thing, right? Just read Nehemiah sometime. We, we looked at Guess how long it took to restore the walls in Jerusalem? Anyone got a guess? It's, it's right there. 49 years. It happened. Exactly as it said. And the walls were restored. And, and 49 years later, that alone would be a, a, an incredible prophecy, would it not? To say there's going to come a, a, a decree. It's going to be restored. And it's going to happen. And it's going to happen. And it's going to take 49 years. This is going to happen. That alone would be something else. Um, But then we see that there's 434 years until the Messiah. 434 years to the Messiah. And then it says that the Messiah would be cut off. And then it talks about an evil ruler entering the scene. In fact, it goes on to say that the evil ruler would confirm a covenant and at three and a half years, oops, let me go back. At three and a half years, he would end all sacrifices. And then the whole thing ends with the consummation of everything. And that's where we have the end of sin. We have eternal righteousness, and everything from that point on. That's detailed, is it not? No. How many of you would admit your heads are spinning a little bit right now? Right? Yeah, my yeah. I'm looking at this. My head spins. and I say, wow. How? I mean, how can you make predictions that that specific, um, and and just get it right? But that's exactly what we find. That's exactly what we find going on. And remember, uh, what would the result of all of this be? When all of this ends and you have the consummation of all things, what we find, 70 weeks are determined for you, for your people, and for your holy city to finish transgression. Saying, I'm dealing with something bigger than just Israel. I'm finishing transgression. That applies to you and me. To make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Where does it end? It ends with the most holy being anointed as our king. Imagine that. We want a human king with whom we can relate. Guess what? Jesus became a human being for our sakes. But God says, I want to be your king. Jesus never left behind his deity. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Predicted. And I say, but how do we know from history? Well, let's take a look at that. If we do the math uh, here for a moment um, uh, as, we, as we look at it, um, let me, let's, let's zoom in on this next part that's, imp- that's important. Verse, verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and re- rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So when we, we look at the math, we say, okay, seven weeks plus 62 weeks. This isn't tough math, right? It gets a little tougher in a second. But, um, how many weeks is that? 69 weeks. Right? 69 weeks out of the 70. 69 weeks, if you, if you look at that in years, comes out to 482 years. Right? 482 years. Um, that comes out to 173,880 days on the Jewish calendar, also on the Babylonian calendar. And so, that's what it comes out to. One, uh, 173,880 days. So, the The question for us is, what what happened from the start date? Because we have a start date of March 5th, 444 B.C. So we look at our calendars and we can say, what happened in Jerusalem 173,880 days after March 5th? So if you do the math, uh, based on the the Jewish calendar compared to ours, uh, what you find is the final date would be March 30th. Of 33 A.D. What happened on March 30th of 33 A.D.? Anyone, any historians know? So we'll have to look at it. Well, we'll let's look at it in, in Scripture, because you know what? We don't have anything in Scripture that says um, here's what happened that date, but we do have a dated event close enough to that date. In fact, if you look at, uh, we don't have to turn there, but in Mark 14:12, um, it was the first day of the feast of unleavened bread. And you might remember that that was a special day for Jesus and his disciples. That's a dated event because, uh, because it says right that, that would be with the equivalent of April 3rd of the year 33 AD. April 3rd. Now how close is April 3rd to March 4th? You're only talking a couple of days. So remember at that event we have the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. Well that week has a lot of detail. In fact all, all four uh, Gospels... Uh, give details about that week. And so we can actually take that day and just go back four days because it goes right through that week. In fact, uh, there's more scripture on that week than any other time in history when you think about it. I mean, Genesis 1 through 11 covers 2,500 years of history. And and, and here we have multiple books from four different different books of the Bible putting ample energy on this one week. So we know exactly what happened that week. You go back four days... You know what day you come to? You come to the triumphal entry. The day when Jesus makes his appearance on the scene. Where? In Jerusalem. I know what some of you are probably thinking, Pastor Dave, how did you time it so that when you're, when you're, you're in the book of Daniel, you ended up coming to the prophecy that leads us right to the triumphal entry on the day that we celebrate the triumphal entry? I can take no credit for that. I, that was not even on my radar screen when we decided to study the book of Daniel. And I just remember thinking, well, I'll probably preach something from Palm Sunday. And I start reading this, and I'm like, uh, I think I can just keep going straight. <laughs> I don't have to change a thing, right? Because I'm just going to continue. Why? Because this predicts the, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ to the day. Amen. Is that not amazing to you? You know, and, and people talk about, and I, and I get sick of hearing this, that all the religions are, are essentially the same. We just look, we just look uh, different from the outside. But internally, all these religions are the same. Nothing could be further from the truth. I think on the outside, we actually have a lot of things that look in common. It's the core, it's the truth, it's, it's the basis of our, our belief is what's different because you're not going to find predictions like that in the Quran. You're not going to find predictions like that in the esoteric scriptures or in the Gnostic scriptures or anywhere else. Not even Nostradamus would come close to that. His predictions came true in the single digits percent of the time. He's considered the greatest non-biblical prophet of all time. Biblical prophets get, get, get it right 100% of the time. Do you see the difference? I mean, there's a huge difference. And so that's why, that's why I believe that the God of this universe is the God of the Old and New Testaments. Amen. That's the God that we serve. Leads us right to the triumphal entry. What happened that day? What was going on? Now, I'll spend just a couple moments there. Let's, let's uh, turn to Matthew 21. And just look at what actually happens on that day. Now when, the, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus, then Jesus sent two, excuse me, two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying Tell the daughter of Zion behold your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey a colt the foal of a donkey. What's he talking about here? I won't go into all the details, but if you go back to Zechariah 9:9 9, 9, it was a prediction that when the Messiah comes into into Jerusalem that he would come on a donkey on the foal of a donkey. And here we see Jesus was was fulfilling that prophecy. He's fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, he's fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel, he's prof- fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah all at the same time. Verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Verse 9. Then the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, which is Hebrew, save us. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Finally, we have a solution being presented. A a solution being presented. The the people wanted, wanted a king with whom they could relate, a human king. And here's someone they could see, a human king. Right? And God was saying, I want to be king. And so here, God combines into one being, someone who is 100% human, 100% divine, and, and here he comes, and he's entering the city, and, and God has an answer to this. God became a human so that he could anoint the most holy as the king. See, that's what they were missing all through the Old Testament. And you you go back to the Old Testament and you see they wanted a king. They wanted a human king. And God says, okay, I'll I'll let you have a human king if you want. You're not going to like it. It's going to come with taxes. How many of you enjoy taxes? It's going to come with all sorts of things. And And you read in, the, in, the, in first and second Kings, you read it, and, and you, you hear over and over again, and this king did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and this king did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and this king did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. On occasion in Judah, you'll hear, this king did what was right on the, in the eyes of the Lord. Yes, and then his children would do what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And, 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 and you find it you get to the point where Israel gets carried off by the Assyrians, and Judah gets carried off by the Babylonians. Why? Because they, they refused to repent and... Why? Because they're serving a human king when God has always called us to serve the divine king. That's what, it, that's what all of the Old Testament history is pointing towards. It is pointing to Jesus Christ. It is pointing to this event. To me, I would have loved to have seen the, all of the Jews, all the people gather on that day. If they had done the math, they could have done that. They could have said, who's going to enter Jerusalem today? on the fool of a donkey, right? On this day, um, fulfilling the prophecies of Daniel, Jeremiah, and, and actually there's other, other prophecies being fulfilled. Who else could it be? Who else could it be? But instead, this is probably the saddest portion of the triumphal entry narrative to me. Look at verse 10 and 11. And when, when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? It's a great question. Verse 11. So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Does that answer cut it? I mean, they're all excited. I mean, they see Jesus. But remember, this is the multitude. Who was crucifying Jesus in, a, in less than a week? The multitudes. And here are the people, and I think that the reason that they could actually go from, from save us, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, to just a week later saying crucify him, crucify him, is because they didn't know the answer to that question. Who is this? And they gave the wrong answer. Is he just a prophet? I mean, yeah, he's a prophet. Is he from Nazareth? Yeah. Is he from Galilee? Yes. But that's not the answer. The answer is that he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one that's called to be king. Now we, ought, we, we know from reading the book of Daniel that they're not going to accept him right away. In fact, it says the Messiah will be cut off, right? There's going to be a time of desolations and then there'll be an evil ruler who puts himself in the same place. We call that the Antichrist and we'll, we'll get to the Antichrist, especially when we get to the book of Revelation. We see all of that taking place right here. We see it happening right here. Where the people reject the people didn't know who he was. They didn't understand him for who he is. Which leads me to one question, and here's our here's here's our application for today. It's this: I'm going to ask you this one question. Will you recognize him for who he is? Will you recognize him as more than just a prophet? See, I think that the, the the people, the multitudes, were saying, "Hey, here's a guy who who's a prophet. He's able to heal the sick. He's even raised the dead." He's, he's able to do great many miracles. Let's bring him, yeah, of course we're going to bring him in. And so what they do is they, they, they in a sense, they create, they create Jesus in their own image. They want Jesus to be what they wanted him to be. And that's been the problem since the beginning. It's been the problem since Cain and Abel. Well, we want to come to God on our own terms. And here, they didn't understand the glory of what Jesus actually was. He is the answer to all the prophecies. He's the answer to this big dilemma between how we bridge this gap between God who's up there and us down here because Daniel was right, we're sinners and we don't deserve it. And what Daniel, and we'll we'll, we'll look more into that uh, when we we go into two two weeks from now, we'll look at that. It has nothing to do with our deserving. It has everything to do with God being willing to send his son to us. And he wasn't done yet. It wasn't enough for him to just be accepted by the people. He had a job to do and that job was to die on a cross because he wasn't there just to save Israel. He was in there to put an end to transgression. To put an end to all sin. And to create everlasting righteousness. We can't do that on our own because we're sinners. But what we do, we recognize that Jesus accomplished that for us when he died on the cross. And I'm glad he didn't just stay there. He rose from the dead on Resurrection Sunday, which we'll be celebrating in one week. It's the pinnacle of human history. Everything before that was leading up to that moment. Everything after that points back to that moment when Jesus Christ came and God answered that question. The question that I have for you, will you recognize him for who he is? Or are you going to have Jesus be whatever you want him to be? Because that didn't work out so well for the multitudes. Mm -hmm. The majority of people... Historically and in the future, the majority of people, they don't mind Jesus as long as they can tell you who Jesus is going to be. But this is the Jesus of reality. It's the Jesus. He is God become man to save us from our sins. Will you recognize him? In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to sing a song called Come Just As You Are. And I'm going to give you an invitation, and I'm telling you right now, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, right now is the time to do it. I'm just going to ask you to come forward. Don't worry about other people. Don't worry about, in fact, everyone here would celebrate if they see someone come forward. Amen? Amen. We, we would, we, there's, don't worry about that. I'm going to ask you to come forward. Be bold enough to, to come to me, and I'm going to, to, to show you someone who can show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And perhaps you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you even came today and, and you thought, you know what, I, may, I thought I did in the past, but I think I had my own version of who Jesus was, but today I understand who he is and what he did. And today I want to make that decision. Then come forward today and make that decision. There's no greater decision than you can make in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now my prayer is that you would work in a powerful way. Right here, right now. Lord, it's very easy for us to celebrate traditions around Easter and and have all of the fun and and forget that this is real. You predicted this hundreds of years before it took place to the day when the Messiah would show up in Jerusalem. Lord, you are a great and awesome God. My jaw drops at the thought of your sovereignty. Lord, we could miss the point if we don't accept your son. Or we hear in Daniel's prayer how angry you were because people rejected the prophets. May we not reject your son. May we not reject the prophets who are warning us to turn to you. I pray right now, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know, behind a shadow of a doubt, that they've already accepted you accepted your son so you could give them an eternal life. I pray that right now you would send your Holy Spirit convict their hearts that they would come forward as we sing, come just as you are.